two old friends met one day after many years. Uh, One attended college and now was very successful. The other had not attended college, but had seemed to do equally well, if not better, although he lacked ambition for life. The less educated, less ambitious man uh, was asked this question, how has everything been going with you? He responded, it couldn't be going any better. One day, I opened my Bible, put my finger down on a page, and there was the word oil. I invested in oil, and wow, did the wells gush. Then on another occasion, I took my finger, randomly opened a Bible, put it down on a page, and there it said the word gold. So I heavily invested in gold. And those mines produced greatly. Now, I'm as rich as a Rockefeller. The successful friend was amazed. Couldn't wait to get back to his hotel room. When he did, he took out his Gideon Bible, flipped it open, put his finger down, and there it pointed to the words, chapter 11. (laughs) bankruptcy, if you will. Uh, Thankfully, Christians are not bankrupt because we have the blessing of the Holy Trinity upon us. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 1 to learn about the extensive blessing from the Trinity. I'll go ahead and read at this point Revelation 1, verses 4 through eight. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Let's talk to the Lord together. Join me in prayer. Father, we have truly been blessed. Ephesians reminds us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Thank you that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has blessed us abundantly. May we put our arms around those blessings today and cling to them for length of days, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, John writes to seven churches that are in Asia. That's Asia Minor, which today would be located in western Turkey. But notice the number seven. Seven is the Greek word hepta. Hepta. It's used 50 times in the book of Revelation. But here's the question. 
Why does John write just to seven churches? There were more churches uh, in the area. Colossae, Troas, and Hierapolis had churches there. But why only seven? Well, seven is the number of completion or perfection. There are seven days in a week. We'll also learn in our study about the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, These seven churches seem to form a postal route. Uh, They also are typical of perhaps churches around the country and around the world. So the Lord Jesus sovereignly chooses these seven churches for John to write to. With that said, let me give you the first point for today's message. The Trinity blesses you through Jesus. That's correct. The Trinity blesses you through Jesus. Begin with me here where it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. When it says here, him, It is referring to the Father. Jesus Christ will be addressed in our next verse. And what is it that is being extended to the readers? Number one, grace. That's God's favor. It was essential for our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. God gave us what we didn't deserve in the gift of Jesus Christ for our eternal life. So it's, it's important for salvation, but it's also equally important for sanctification. That's the process whereby the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ. In Titus chapter 2, listen carefully to verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God, see there it is, the favor of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. In other words, salvation is universally available. But notice personification here. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. There Paul writes to Titus about God's grace being essential. It teaches us how to lead lives that please the Lord, that conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we begin here with grace to you, but then also peace. Uh, the Greek word is a reine. It uh, comes back from the Hebrew word, the word you know very well, shalom, shalom. And shalom carries the idea of a, of a blessing to one's person, see, to their body and to their soul. But as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we learn that grace is even greater Why? Because now it includes the concept of the salvation that God has given to us. Romans chapter 5 in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does the Father extend grace, his favor to us, but also peace. And it's through Jesus Christ now that we enjoy this grace and peace. But now, as the Father is speaking, so to speak, the description about him, who is he? Well, it says, who is? Uh, Who is is a present tense verb. The idea of existence. Call Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. The idea of existence. God is. He exists right now. When Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, he first encounters God at the burning bush. And Moses wants to know who God is. I am who I am. And three times, there in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 14, the Hebrew verb hayah is given to be. God describes himself to Moses as the one who exists. So who is, who was. Imperfect tense verb. Continuous action in past time. You're familiar with the same verbal tense from John 1.1 about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. See, it's not as if Jesus Christ appeared all at once in a sense of being God. He's always existed. Yes, he was born of a virgin, but he's eternally God. So when John describes who Jesus, the word is, he speaks of him as continually existing in the past. So that's the verb we have that's used three times in John 1.1, and that describes the Father here, who was, but notice this, who is to come. The Son and Father's return is depicted together here in Revelation chapter 1. I love this. The mystery of the Trinity. Jesus says of the Father, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10 verse 30. Or to that disciple, if you've seen me, says Jesus, you've seen the Father. Even a return of Jesus is connected with the Father, who is to come. And then the greeting continues. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Some commentators point to seven spirits as being angels. But I'd like to Uh, share with you. I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, Angels do not bring, number one, grace and peace. And then number two, why do you have both Father and Son and an extensive blessing and then put angels on the same level? Uh, I believe here the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. The idea of perfection. He's the perfect spirit. He's the completed spirit. And uh, let's look at a couple references. I won't go into detail here, but about the seven spirits, I believe being the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 3 
And now down to verse 1. Chapter 3, down to verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It's about Jesus Christ possessing the spirit because is he not the one who dispatched the spirit? He tells his disciples in the gospel of John that it's essential for him to go back to the Father so that he could send the spirit to them. Also over to Revelation 4 and look at verse 5. Chapter 4, verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And in one last reference for now, chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6, and I looked and behold... In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The omniscience of the Holy Spirit referred to there. So the greeting of grace and peace, first from the Father, second from the Spirit, and now third from Jesus Christ. And you say, why is Jesus mentioned third? Usually you think about God the Father, number one, God the Son, number two, and then God the Holy Spirit, number three. John gives us this order as he is inspired by the Spirit of God to pen this because there's more to be said about Jesus Christ, and that's why he's placed third here. And it says in verse five, and from Jesus Christ, and notice he is first described as the faithful witness. The faithful witness. Uh, Jesus had said to Pilate, this is John 18, verse 37, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus left heaven to reveal to us the nature of the Father. Jesus took on the form of flesh in order that he could show us the heart of God and how God is true and God is truth. Jesus here is the faithful witness to that. He's the firstborn of the dead. This speaks of the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he's the firstborn from the dead. Unlike Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, but only to die again. Jesus was raised from the dead and dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Turn with me over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll pick it up in verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, down in verse 15. Sadly, some people try to use this portion of Scripture to deny the deity of Christ. But I think here in Colossians 1, we see the deity so very clearly stated. Verse 15, Colossians 1. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Remember, they have the same nature. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, 
that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is the creator God, and he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. He holds the universe together. And may I say, he also controls your life, and he can keep you together too. Down in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, described here as the church. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. Now let me just talk about this term, firstborn. Prototakos. Uh, It's a term that can literally be used of a firstborn child. And it is used that way in the Bible. But it's also used of preeminence and position. And it doesn't have to refer to a literal firstborn. You see, Jehovah Witness claim that Jesus was created. There was a time when he was not, says Arius. But may I point out that this same term is used in the Old Testament. In the Greek translation called the Septuagint in Psalm 89:27. And get this, everyone. It's used of King David. Why is that significant? David wasn't the firstborn of Jesse. He's the eighth son. See, the idea here is preeminence and position. It speaks about the one who has the right to inherit all things. He's not only the faithful witness, he's the firstborn of the dead. And let's come back with me to Revelation 1. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. From the Old Testament, when you want to express something that is supreme, you repeat it. You don't generally have the idea of good, better, and best, superlatives. But what you do have is the word repeated. So when we want to talk about where God's presence dwelt, the Old Testament calls it the Holy of Holies. And when you want to talk about the best song, it's the song of songs, if you think of the song of Solomon. Here, Jesus is described as the ruler over the kings of the earth. That's why he's called the king of kings and lord of lords. And to him, speaking of Jesus Christ, who loved us. Well, now he's just starting to think about the extensive blessing from the Father and the Spirit. And now Jesus, let's consider who Jesus Christ is and then what he had done for us. Who loved us. Listen to Galatians 2.20. Who loved me, writes Paul, and gave himself for me. And then over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul commands and walk in love as Christ also loved us and was given for us. That's who Jesus Christ is. He loves us to the extent that he died for us. So he has the right to extend blessing. Not only has he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a sacrifice. Robert Lowry wrote to him, nothing but the blood. The words go this way. What can wash away my sin? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I love that. Thinking about what cleanses us, what makes us pure in the sight of God. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You have to recall in the Old Testament there was a lot of blood shed. Animals were sacrificed through the sacrificial system so that it could be a temporary covering of sin. They had a special day. We call it Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And on that particular day, there had to be an animal sacrifice. Why? So the nation could have a covering of sin for another year. But when Jesus Christ came, the Lamb of God who laid down his life for us and took it back up again, He cleansed us permanently. Past, present, future sin. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I came upon this story. It was entitled, Survivor Rights Love Message in Blood. A Los Angeles Metrolink train wreck that killed 11 individuals and injured several others on January 27th. 2005, left an indelible impression on firefighter Captain Rosario. Hours after the rescue began, hope for finding other survivors was diminishing. Then one passenger indicated that another man was trapped under the debris. Using the jaws of life, rescuers were able to extricate a man named John from the wreckage. That's when Rosario saw the message. While John was pinned under a train seat and other debris from the crash, he wrote a message to his wife and children using his own blood. John was having trouble breathing and feared he would die. With whatever energy he could summon and a heartbreaking economy of words, he scrawled a farewell in blood on the seat. I love with a heart my kids. I love Leslie, he printed. The blood ink seemed to be running out as he got to the second sentence. Captain Rosario discovered that message, and as he later related the story for TV cameras, the firefighter choked with emotion. The fact that this guy in this situation had the amount of love he had for his family, and for him to realize, I'm possibly going to die here, How could any words explain it? In a similar way, God has communicated his love for you and me through the death and the shedding of blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Are you starting to begin to grasp the depth of the blessing that is given to us through Father, through the Spirit, and then through the Son? It continues about the Son in verse 6. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. If you notice in your Bible, down with the word kings in verse 6, there's an asterisk most likely next to it. And then you have the possible uh, word being replaced, kingdom. Uh, I believe kingdom has greater manuscript evidence here. I don't think has made us kings, but he's made us a kingdom. 
Uh, and the kingdom here is comprised of those of us who know Jesus Christ. We make up the kingdom. Uh, let me give it to you this way, and perhaps this helps from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, He, speaking of God, has translated us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom. Everybody see those words? Into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So I believe here in Revelation 1.6 it says and he's made us a kingdom. How exciting is that? We have been transferred from the power of Satan into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only has he made us a kingdom but what? And priest. Priest by the way both now and then in the future. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter is writing to church-age saints. And he says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. But then also in the future, flip over with me please to Revelation chapter 5, down to verse 10. Revelation chapter 5, down to verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So it's a blessing that is given to us. Right now we're currently priests. That's what First Peter 2.9 tells us. But then we'll also have a priestly role in the future. Imagine this. In verse 6, he's made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. And notice here, it continues in verse 6, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. To him here is speaking about Jesus Christ who will have an eternal rule. And we are to adore him. If you can join me with the word amen, so be it. Because this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. So after now considering the blessing of Father, Spirit, and Son, point number one was the Trinity blesses you through Jesus. Now our second point, Jesus will. And the word will here, you can put in all caps because this will take place. Jesus will return to judge and rule that's down here in verse 7. Uh, by the way, Revelation verse 7 here in chapter 1 is a conflation. It means bringing two things together. It brings together Daniel 7 and verse 13, which we'll see shortly, and Zechariah chapter 12 in verse 10. And John here writing wants us to really focus. So he uses the command, behold. He wants to gain the attention of the readers. It says, he is coming with clouds. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament, to Daniel chapter 7, uh, to appropriately glean the great message in the book of Revelation. You need often to go back to the writings of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 Picking it up in verse 13, thinking about what was revealed to the 6th century B.C. prophet. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. You want to just stop there? You might want to underline. You might want to highlight. 
the Son of Man. This is Jesus's favorite term to describe himself. This sets the stage for the New Testament references to Jesus being the Son of Man. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming and observe here with Revelation 1-7, the clouds of heaven. Sound familiar? He came to the Ancient of Days, a reference to God the Father. Not that God the Father is just old. The idea here, ancient, is that he is eternal. And they brought him. They escorted him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ before the Father. Verse 14. Then to him, our Lord Jesus Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. See, because when Christ comes back the second time, he's going to put down his enemies and establish his kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. You gotta love these words from Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. See, he is coming with clouds and then John writes, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. See what's the second coming. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Don't you just love going through the Bible? Learning all this wonderful information about the Lord's second coming. Matthew 24, come down to verse 27. Matthew 24 and 25 receives the title, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's talking about end time events. Verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. We're going to learn, it'll be quite some time down the road as we get to Revelation 19, that when Christ defeats his enemies at Armageddon, that the birds are going to have a feast on their flesh. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This goes beyond a physical, earthly earthquake. The heavens will be shaken. Verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man. I believe this uh, expression here of the Son of Man is an appositional Genitive. You could translate it, then the sign which is the Son of Man. See, the return of Jesus Christ, every eye will see him at the end of the tribulation. He is the sign. Then the sign which is the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right, come back with me, please, to Revelation chapter 1. So every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him. I'm going to suggest an alternate uh, translation. See the word and there, and they also who pierced him. It can be translated even, the sense of sense. So it could be here, even they also 
who pierced him. They refers to a special group within the larger group. You see, who were the ones who pierced him? There it'd be the Jews. But you notice here that every eye, every eye shall see him because it continues and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. How certain is this? John uses a double affirmation here. Even so, and then he gives us the second amen or so be it. Point number one, the Trinity blesses you through Jesus Christ. Our second point, Jesus will, let's keep the focus on the word will. Jesus will return to judge and rule. That's why he's coming back the second time. And now our third point, God assures Jesus's return to judge and rule. God himself assures Jesus' return to judge and rule. Now, as you look at verse 8, of course you observe the red letters. For those of you who have red letter editions, I believe here, verse 8 is not the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this is a reference to God the Father. And let me show you why. Here where it says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Now, take a look at the word Lord. Once again, you see a little asterisk, perhaps in most of your translations. And what you see then as an alternate reading is the word God added to Lord. And by the way, in the majority of existing manuscripts, it has Lord God. And Lord God is the common designation of the Father. For instance, in Ezekiel 6.3, and on and on and on, it's a designation of the Father. And I believe the rest of the verse will show that this is pointing to the Father as well. Because notice here, who is and who was and who is the come. Now, where do we see that last? Back in verse 4. Who was it referring to? The Father. If you will, this is an inclusio. You could use the expression book ends. The same statement used of the Father in 1.4 is now used again in 1.8. It kind of brings this section together. And then it speaks here of the Almighty. The Almighty. The term Almighty is only used ten times. Ten times in the entire New Testament. There are nine uses of this term in the book of Revelation. And get this, everyone, the other eight uses, because we have one here of the nine, the other eight uses all clearly refer to the Father. And actually at times make a distinction between the Father and the Son. The other use outside of the book of Revelation is 2 Corinthians 6, 18, which also points us to the Father. I think clearly, Revelation 1.8 is not being spoken of by the Son, but the Father. 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then the Father continues, I am, agoe me, a statement of deity. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The idea here is the completeness of God. He's always existed. He's the beginning and the end. He is eternally God. He's the almighty. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who has the right to rule. So God assures that Jesus will return and judge and rule because of who he is. You see how this all works together? It's a beautiful thing. I want you to think about the Trinity with me for just a bit here. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of St. Augustine. Uh, Shortly after he had completed his uh, writings uh, many, many centuries ago on the Trinity, he was walking along the Mediterranean shore on the coast of North Africa. And he chanced upon a boy who kept filling a bucket of with seawater and pouring it into a large hole in the sand. Why are you doing that? Augustine asked the boy. His response, I'm pouring the Mediterranean Sea into the hole. And the boy said that with all seriousness. My dear boy, what an impossible thing to try to do, chided Augustine. The sea is far too vast and your hole is far too small. Then as Augustine continued to walk, it dawned on him that his efforts to write on the Trinity were much like this. He was like that little boy. The subject was far too vast and his mind far too small. How very true. The Trinity, as we learn about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, whether here in the book of Revelation or elsewhere, it's, it's almost too much the grasp. But you know what? If we can fully explain God, he's not God. You have one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Truly blessed Trinity. What an awesome concept. And I want you to understand this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three in one is eternal. Has always existed. And as a result of the eternality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is no lack of the grace and the peace that they can extend to you. Paul found that out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Even with his thorn in the flesh. What's the response? My grace is sufficient for you. Paul could say that he accomplished more than all the apostles because of the grace of God. And aren't there those times when you're so overwhelmed by life's circumstances, whether it's a loved one dying, it might be a financial catastrophe, 
It might be your own personal health issue. Whatever the case, and you just feel like life is too much for you. There is God in Trinity that can extend to you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's why we're told in Philippians 4 to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. There is no lack of grace and peace from the heart of God. And this is why we are to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is why we bring our prayer request to the Almighty, God and Trinity. Because regardless of the circumstances in our lives, He can flood our souls with a peace that goes beyond human comprehension. That's the nature of our God. Here's what I'd like you to do this week. Each day, I want you to read, in the beginning of the day, Revelation 1, 4 through 8. I desire you to then meditate throughout the day on the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, and the extension of grace and peace to you. I want you to stay close to God if you will, stay connected to him so that you can experience his favor in your life to accomplish whatever he's called you to do, to endure whatever you need to endure. I want you to stay close to him so that you can experience his peace when everyone else around you does not. Take seven days to personalize the message. And what have we learned? The Trinity blesses you through Jesus Christ. That is an awesome blessing from the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus will return to judge and rule. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. Many opposed to Jesus Christ. There will come a time there will come a time when Jesus peels back the heavens, comes to earth with a two-edged sword, puts down his enemies, judges them, and establishes his kingdom. This will occur. And then thirdly, God assures us of Jesus' return to judge and rule. And remember, in Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible for God to lie or for God to break an oath or covenant. So when God himself assures us, as we've seen in Revelation 1.8, we can have a confidence in these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're an extraordinary God so far beyond anything I could ever comprehend. But I accept by faith the Trinity 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that from the Trinity flow the blessings, the extensive blessings of grace and peace. And I pray that throughout this week, as we daily read Revelation 1, 4 through 8, contemplate the greatness of the Trinity and the blessing bestowed upon us, oh, may we experience grace and peace like we never have before. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.